In rural Washington, there is a shortage in both the number and diversity of students who enter biomedical careers, thanks to two WSU professors and a $1.2 million federal grant. The HEAL project aims to solve this issue. HEAL stands for Health Education Through Arts-Based Learning. And the two faculty members explain how HEAL can help build child interest in science, as well as provide a service to the medical community. Education Eclipse starts now. Education, news, and research. These are the conversations happening inside education, athletic training, sports science, and sport management that are going to transform each. It's Education Eclipse from Washington State University. Back here on Education Eclipse, my name is Brandon Chapman and I'm joined by two individuals this time. We've got Molly Kelton from the College of Education and we also have Jeb Owen from the College of Agricultural, Human and Natural Resource Sciences, Connors, from the Department of Entomology. So both of you, thank you so much for joining me and we're going to talk about the HEAL project. HEAL as Health Sciences Education Through Arts-Based Learning. It's a mouthful. So we'll start, Molly, with, with you. Um, tell, tell us the, just the 30,000-foot overview of the project, and then we'll dive into more of the specifics. Sure. Thanks for having us. Um, so I think the overarching vision for the project has to do with a really long-standing struggle in STEM education, um, in particular in relation to equity. We know that um, the people who find themselves in STEM pursuits and in STEM professions later in life don't really reflect the diversity of the population in the United States. So part of the goal for this project is to bring engaging um, programming to underrepresented rural communities to help bolster interest um, and engagement and a sense of possible futures in relation to STEM careers. A lot of the science professions, they seem so far away for any of these children that are low income, that might be minority, underrepresented, marginalized. Um, it's just not something that they're, they're going to go after, right? So tell me how the project helps to bridge that gap. Sure. Um, so I think we're trying to bridge that gap in a couple of ways. Um, one way is really through arts integration. So that's the A in the HEAL acronym. Um, there's a kind of growing body of work around leveraging the arts, and in this project we're going to be using some visual arts strategies to help bring in young people who might not otherwise find a way to see themselves in science or in STEM. So I think that's one piece of the strategy. The other piece really comes through an explicit focus on scientific complexity. So we're going to be trying to um, really support young people in thinking about complex scientific phenomena in terms of um, being a result of lots of different causal factors operating at different scales. And I think that's where Jeb comes in because he studies complex scientific phenomena that uniquely impact some of the communities that we're going to be working with as part of this project. Yeah, Jeb, um, when, when you were, I guess, approached, I don't know if Molly approached you, but um, when this came up, you know, what were your initial thoughts in terms of, hey, this is a societal challenge that we have and, and maybe this is something worthwhile? You're like an actor getting a script, you know, deciding yes or no. <laughs> I actually approached her. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it seems unusual, I think, to people that somebody from the entomology department would be involved in some sort of <clears throat> uh, 
complex educational program like this. Yeah, and initiated, in fact. Yeah, so the, the backstory of that is that I am an artist as well as a scientist, and I've been developing arts integrated with science in a local elementary school over the last three years, as well as program for adults the last couple of years, in part to try and satisfy my interest in pursuing art, but also because I recognized as a teacher now, I've been teaching at a college level for 15 years, that students that come in really do lack this ability to execute complex thinking and to think abstractly and to problem solve. And we see this reflected almost in every syllabus on campus, this focus on complex thinking. And I started to think about that and why students may come in with that deficit, especially in the sciences. And I had this experience with my own kids. They came home in the third grade with their plans for the science fair and their instructions included basically details on how to develop a hypothesis and test a hypothesis. And it was the most dry, boring thing I'd ever read. No offense to the people planning the science fair, but it occurred to me that hypothesis testing really is not why any scientist gets motivated to choose this as a career. Really, it's because of a deeper curiosity about how the world works and really a, an aesthetic uh, appeal of the natural world. And thinking back in my own childhood and, and when I decided I wanted to become a scientist, it was because of that aesthetic interest in the natural world and its processes. And it occurred to me that art was a way more intuitive way to try and, and hook kids into scientific ideas and curiosity and really cultivate their curiosity, much more than this dry, formulaic approach to figuring out how the world works. Um, so I've been running that program for the last few years, and I really wanted to try and export it to a broader audience, but I knew that I really didn't have the capacity to do that uh, because I don't have a background in education or you know, the theory behind pedagogy. And so I was lucky enough that when I started fishing around for people that might be able to help me do this, someone connected me to Molly, who is basically already an expert in that, having integrated art and math in a variety of different formats. So I came to her and I told her what I wanted to do, and she expertly took it over and made it happen. <laughs> My only knowledge of the science fair was if you add baking soda and vinegar together, you can make a volcano. Right. It was awesome. Right. And it was awesome the first time. <laughs> you know, I was in kindergarten, and then after that, you know, I was never a science lover, maybe because of that. We've talked a lot in the College of Education about really getting kids interested, and, and I know one of our science Ed professors has done a lot with argument-based inquiry and other things. So, so I'm more familiar with that and less familiar how you would go about doing this kind of research and getting kids interested using the arts. So maybe you'll touch upon, you know, I don't know if that's the methodology of it, but what 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 do you plan to do? Like, how do you plan to to go about this work? Sure. Um, so there is kind of a a growing 
area of inquiry around this. Some people call it the STEM to STEAM movement, so kind of bringing the arts into um, STEM inquiry. So for anyone who's curious about that, that's um, kind of a, a growing body of endeavor. Um, what we are going to be doing is focusing on um, four particular visual arts-based strategies that we conjecture will be particularly high leverage for helping young people begin to um, think in a systems way, to think um, not about sort of single units, um, but rather about kind of multiple causal factors interacting with one another. So the art strategies that we're going to be focusing on include um, scientific illustration, um, for which there's actually kind of a venerated tradition in the natural sciences, um, and um, some um, research around the potential for that to engage young children in scientific inquiry. We're also going to be um, looking at photography um, as well as 2D and 3D cartography and the creation of information graphics. So we're going to be focusing on those four strategies and then developing programming that um, explores different ways of using those to um, engage children in thinking um, in particular about um, health science issues that uniquely impact their communities and even more specifically about uh, zoonotic disease systems, things like West Nile virus or hantavirus um, and all of those are things that Jeb is, um, in which Jeb is a scientific expert. Determining where some of these viruses come from or I mean is that how the cartography comes up because I hear cartography and I immediately think of issues of social justice and like our cultural studies program I don't I don't think science at all right so trying to understand risk very much links to landscape and human engagement with different parts of the landscape because risk of infection of any kind is not uniformly distributed in space or demographically across the population or socioeconomically if you think about differences in um, access to health care and so forth. So those things all coalesce into this sort of cartography-based approach to understanding where individuals may get sick and where they may not get sick and so that they can mitigate, mitigate those risks based on understanding those complexities. So what's the total grant amount for this project and tell me about the awarder of the grant. Um, all right, so uh, the grant is for uh, about 1.2 million dollars to be used over the course of five years and this was awarded by the National Institutes of Health, uh, National Institute of General Medical Sciences um, and under that organization there is a funding program called the SEPA program which stands for Science Education Partnership Award. Partnership Award, so it was mm -hmm. a necessity anyway for, I guess, our two colleges here at the table to work together. I mean, even to get the grant, it sounds like. Well, I think that um, funders are largely beginning to acknowledge that the best work is done by collaborative interdisciplinary teams. So we aligned with them in that way, yeah. Who are some of the other players that might be involved in 
in this. I don't want to leave leave anybody out. Yeah, yeah, we have really a, a great team. So um, in addition to myself and Jeb here, um, we also have Dr. Robert Danielson, who is educational psychology faculty in the College of Education, um, as well as Patricia Butterfield, who um, is in the College of Medicine. Um, and she brings expertise um, in rural health communication in particular to this project. Um, we also have an amazing set of extension campus faculty who are really helping us to implement the project with the communities we're targeting in smart, sensitive, culturally relevant ways. Some of those faculty include Ana Maria Martinez Diaz, who is at um, the Franklin campus. Um, and then we also have Allison White and Regina Ord, who serve uh, Yakima and some other surrounding counties. Perfect. So you're getting extension involved. I, I, I can definitely see the collaboration with medicine. And in terms of Robert Danielson being Ed Psych, I mean, is his role one that's more analytic uh, measurement, psychometric, or uh, I know a lot of that's done at site. Yeah, so um, Robert is going to be helping us uh, primarily with the evaluation components of the project. He brings a lot of expertise in particular to understanding young people's development of interest in science, which is one of the outcomes we're hoping for with this project. What's the ability, when this research is done, it's presented, you, you're, you're published, a lot of the curriculum and things in schools, like your K through 12 system, they're so systemic. And so, I mean, how do you how do you introduce something like this into a classroom? Like, if your third grader comes home, if my now first grader, when you're when you're all said done, when he's in fifth grade and doing science, like, how do I see a change as a parent? Uh, how do I, as a parent, say, hey, yeah, this is this is going to matter because I can see the fruits of of this. Well, so that's one of the reasons for doing an evaluation. So part of our hope is that by the end of this project, we'll have developed a pretty comprehensive set of curricular materials and accompanying professional development materials and programs, along with a robust evaluation that shows here's what's working about this program. And often that kind of evidence base um, can be very helpful in terms of affecting change in schools. But the other strategy that we're using while we're developing all of this is that we're partnering with more than schools. We're partnering with after-school and out-of-school programs. We're also partnering with um, low-income housing nonprofits and other spaces that are um, uh, a bit outside of the box um, in terms of where we typically think of science learning. Yeah, they're to not be as happening. institutionalized. They yes. have some leeway to do things. Yeah, they're less entrenched in terms of their infrastructure. Yeah, and so that gives us a little bit of creative freedom um, to do things that we think are going to be really impactful. You have reached out to your collaborators across the state. Mm -hmm. but let's just take a school district like Pullman. Would they be able to take this and, and on their own implement this, or is this something that does you know, require legislators, um, OSPI type approval? I mean, you know what kind of what kind of leeway would just you know a, a normal school district have to do something or would they be seen as totally rogue I think that really varies by district so I'm not sure I could give you a blanket answer um, 
to that question, but part of what we're trying to do to make that easier is we're taking a modular approach in terms of the design of our programming so that if there is a teacher who perhaps has a little bit of flexibility <laughs> in their year, they can incorporate some pieces of what they're of what we're doing with the HEAL project. I'd love to see it effectuate change. So thank you, you know, for, for explaining this. Uh, is there anything else you want to add? Well, I, I think one thing that would be useful to add, Molly articulated how the one objective of the program is to encourage students in these communities or young children in these communities to ultimately enter into science or health-related fields to make those accessible to them as they picture their futures. But I think that there's also a very real public health service that this project provides. So one thing that is grossly underappreciated by the public is that when we're trying to manage infectious disease of any kind, we have a lot of tools to do that. And the tools that most people focus on are chemical ones, vaccines, antibiotics, parasiticides. Those tools are if we try to measure their efficacy in controlling a disease, those tools are totally dwarfed by the impact of education. Education alone is the most important, by far, way to try to manage disease. If people understand how diseases work, they understand the underlying causes of disease risks, they can make informed choices about how to live their lives to avoid disease. The most cost-effective way to manage disease is to not get it in the first place. And without education, you really cannot have any effective management of disease. The case in point, really, is the absolute failure of um, basically the use of vaccines. So we have multiple vaccines, some of which are capable of eradicating some of the most severe diseases that afflict people. And yet we're seeing reemergence of those diseases through anti-vaccine movements in the community, in part because of basic ignorance about how vaccines work, about how the diseases those vaccines are designed to manage work, the reality is infectious diseases are amongst the most complex biological phenomena ever described because they work everywhere from the gene all the way up to the global landscape level. They affect everything from how we grow food to how we age. They incorporate uh, socioeconomics. I mean, people don't realize the intense, extreme economic costs that infectious disease create because of lost work, because of investment in medical care to keep people alive. All of those things could be most effectively managed if nobody got infected in the first place. But that will never happen if people don't understand these underlying mechanisms at play. And like I mentioned earlier, we see even amongst these you know, well-educated kids coming into college that they don't have the tools to think complexly, to link disparate ideas, to problem solve, all of these things that are required to understand these disease systems that are operating at so many different layers. And so this project 
helps to uh, essentially deal with that problem much earlier in a much more creative and engaging way to get kids to think about aspects of biological systems, aspects of infectious disease that are, quite frankly, very complex, very hard to understand. But if we can get them engaged in thinking about those in, in abstract new ways, hopefully they retain that interest. They start to cultivate that complex thinking much earlier than they would have otherwise. So there's this intervention piece that I think needs to also be recognized as part of the project. And related to that, as a final note, something that's really special about this is that because it's artistic, because it has this creative component, it has this ability to reach out beyond the student. So one, one thing that we didn't mention is that every module is punctuated at the end with an art show where kids invite community members and their parents to come see their work. And that's an opportunity not only to highlight the beautiful work they've done, but for the kids to actually start teaching their community members what they're learning what this art represents. It's a way to export this knowledge in a way that's not dry, narrative-driven, but visually impactful. And uh, that, that relevance of that to infectious disease management cannot be underscored. Might I ask if you had anything to add? Because the passion came out. It was <laughs> awesome. Marty, you have anything else? Dad. Yeah, I mean, I'll just on that last note, I'll say that we are also going to be developing um, a website that is going to showcase some of our participants' scientific artwork so that anyone around the globe can can see some of that. And, and so I think because of all of the things that Jeb just said, um, you're right in that this project does have a social justice component to it as well. Very cool. Molly Kelton from the College of Ed, Jeb Wan from from WCU Connors. Thank you so much. This is awesome. And I will definitely be wanting updates from you guys. So expect to be back in a year. We'll be back. Cool. All right, cool. Thank you. You've been listening to Education Eclipse, a College of Education podcast from Washington State University. 